Welcome. It's been a while since we've recorded, and I have uh, some amazing things I want to share with you today. Today, Rosh Chodesh, the new month, the month of El, which is a, a very, very important month in uh, the Jewish calendar. El is the month when we prepare intensely for the high holidays that are approaching next month, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. It's a month of intense introspection, prayer, learning, and and repentance. And I want to share with you some ideas to open up the idea of what this month is all about. For many years, um, I was allergic to Elul. Uh, I spent because it was just too intense. It was too negative. And when I got the right perspective, what it's all about really changed my perspective. I want to share some of those ideas with you. So what, first of all, let's start off talking a little bit about what, what Rosh Chodesh is all about. What's the idea of Rosh Chodesh? It's brought down in the, in the holy books that Rosh Chodesh, uh, is, the day right before Rosh Chodesh is a time of tshuva. It's a time of repentance and reflection um, so too before Shabbos is also a time of repentance and, and reflection and then the entire month of Elul is a time of repentance and reflection all these times have something incredible in common that we're going to talk about but first just as an overview the according to Kabbalah the world was created with enough energy to last for seven days and on Shabbos, Hashem puts a new energy. When Shabbos ends, a new energy to come into the world to give the world existence for another seven days. And the truth is, is that in other other contexts, Hashem is creating the world every single second. But every seven days, every at the end of Shabbos, Hashem puts energy for a larger influx of creative energy comes into the world for seven days. So too, every night. Before the new day is an influx of energy. So before a person goes to sleep, you're supposed to spend a few moments thinking about your day, introspecting on how you can become better for the next day, for that new energy to come down the next day. And so too on Rosh Chodesh, the energy for the entire month comes into the world. And finally on Rosh Hashanah, the energy for the entire year comes in. And all these times are times of connection to prepare for that energy. I want to talk deeper about that idea in a moment. So what would we refer to the there's an interesting custom in the 10 days of repentance 10 tshuva, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur to take on uh, a chumrah uh, certain stringencies in Jewish law that you normally wouldn't do to try to be your very best in those 10 days doing things that you really don't do the whole year and you're not going to do afterwards and the question is who are we fooling we're trying to trick god he knows that we don't normally do those things, and he knows that we're going to not do them again after the holidays are over. So what's the purpose of taking on those those uh, extra stringent behaviors? The Code of Jewish Law, when it ex- describes these days from El until Yom Kippur, you might th- think that it might call them the days of compassion, Yemei Rachamim, or days of love, the days of repentance, the days of awe, but that's not what he refers to these days. He calls these you may rutzon days of divine favor. Rutzon means 
good will or will willpower you see there's two meanings to it and he means divine favor days of divine favor why because the torah originally was given on the holiday of shavuos which was the sixth or seventh of the month of sivan and that was the when the ten commandments were given then moshe went up the next day to mount sinai for 40 days and came down with the two tablets on the 17th of tammuz and immediately smashed those tablets when he saw the Jews worshiping the golden calf. Then he went back up again for another 40 days, prayed the Jewish people would be forgiven, came back down the day before Rosh Chodesh Elul, the day before today, yesterday. And then he went back up again for another 40 days and received the second tablets, the second set of luchos, and came back down on Yom Kippur. So says the the Code of Jewish Law, the Shulchan Aruch says, quoting the Torah, that just like the first days on the mountain were in a state of divine favor, so too the last days on the mountain, the last 40 days on the mountain of Mount Sinai, were in a state of divine favor. There's a different explanation for this term, Yemei Ratzon, days of Ratzon, days of will. The Going back to what we'd started our conversation with about creation, the Bnei Sascher, the Rav Svi Elimelech of Dinov, great Hasidic master, says as follows. He says that the time of Shalashudas, third meal on Shabbos, is an intense time of spirituality. It's really the culmination of Shabbos. And the Zohar refers to it in Kabbalah as a time of Rava de Ravin, which means in Aramaic, Rava is the word Ratzon, a time of intense will or or favor. He says, why is this called the time of Ratzon? He says, because when did God create the world? God created the world on Sunday. Sunday is the first day in Hebrew, Yom Rishon, the first day. So what was God doing a few moments before he created the world? Says the Bnei Yisachar, he was having a rutzon, a will to create the world. He was desiring to create the world. And therefore, right before the new creation takes effect on Motzi Shabbos, Saturday night, just before Shabbos ends, Hashem is willing the new week into creation, as we spoke about a few moments ago. And therefore, Shalashudah's third meal is a time to tap into the divine will. And therefore, we ourselves can tap into our will to recreate ourselves for the new week. That's the idea of Shalasudah. So too, says the Meisachar, when was the world created? There are two opinions in the Talmud. According to one opinion, the world's created in Nisan, the month of Nisan. According to the other opinion, the world's created in Tishrei. We'll talk more about these two opinions in a moment. According to the opinion that the world's created in Tishrei, so that's really the way that we, we uh, Jewish law really uh, concurs with that opinion because Rosh Hashanah is known as the birthday of the world. So that means, says the Bnei Sassar, what was Hashem, what was God doing in the time period before he created the world on, actually not Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah is the creation of Adam. The 25th of Elo was when the world was created. So what was God doing in the, in the month before creating the world? He was desiring to create a world. So therefore the whole month of Elo is Yemei Ratz on a time of Ratzon, of our ability to connect to the will of desire, willpower, favor, connect 
an opportunity to connect to what we really want to be in this new year. In fact, if you go a little bit deeper, there are two opinions in the Talmud. Rabbi Eliezer says the world's created in Tishrei, like we said, really means the 25th of Elul. According to the other opinion, Rabbi Yeshua says the world's created in Nisan, really means the 25th of Adar. And what, what's this this Machlokas about? What's this, what's this debate about? So Rabbi Eliezer is a student of Beis Shammai. Beis Shammai was always more strict, more stringent, more in touch with the attribute of Gevura or Din, judgment. And Rabbi Yoshua was a Talmud of Beis Hillel, was a student of Beis Hillel, was much more associated with kindness. So essentially we have two different creations. We have the creation in judgment, which is this time period, days of awe. And we have the, the, the creation of Nisan, which is days of love. Nisan corresponds to kindness. There's many, many different explanations how we see that. But on, on Nisan, we pray for dew, which is Hashem sustaining the world in a way of kindness, where dew is spread out constantly throughout the world, and it's always there. You don't have to do anything to deserve it. And in Tishrei, we pray for, we begin praying for rain. Rain corresponds to judgment, because even though it's kindness, water is kindness, it comes down only in droplets and only in accordance to what you need. And if you pray for it, the, the Talmud explains that rain doesn't fall equally everywhere. It depends on one's prayer and one's merits. In fact, when the world was created, it says that there was no rain yet because Adam had not been created yet to pray for rain. So um, the Tosvos, the medieval commentary in the Talmud, actually says that both of these opinions of when the world was created are both true. Says Tosfos, Both of these words are the words of the living God. So how do you explain it? Says Tosfos that the world was created in thought in Tishrei, and in action the world was created in Nisan, which means that this is a time to connect to, again, the idea of thought, Hashem willing the world into creation. It actually fits perfectly with what it says, Rashi quotes in the beginning of the Torah, that Baresh is Baro Elohim, God created the world. It uses the name Elohim and not the name Hashem, Yud Kevavke. The name Elohim corresponds to strict judgment. And the Talmud says that originally God went up in God's mind to create the world with judgment, with Midas Adin, and only afterwards he saw that the world couldn't survive on Din alone, on judgment alone, and therefore Hashem put into it, combined it with, with the kindness and creating a balance, which is known as Rachamim, compassion, which is a balance between strength and, and judgment. That's the name Hashem Elohim, as it, as, it, as it says later on in the Torah, Yudke Vavke and the name Elohim. So in a sense, it's the same idea that there's the world in Machshava, in thought, which is a world of judgment, which is a world of justice, where God has a perfect vision of what he wants to create. And then there's the world of reality, which is the world of love and compassion, where we're not always able to live up to the standards of the the ultimate picture. But our job in these days, preceding Rosh Hashanah, going through the high holidays, is to connect to our true will, our true Ratzon, to become the best person we could possibly be. And I want to expand on that idea now a little bit. There was once a Hasid, a Hasidic Jew standing in a train station in Europe, in Poland, 
And a misnagid, someone who is against the Hasidic movement, said, What a chutzpah, what audacity that you Hasidim call yourselves Hasidim. Hasid means an overly pious person. How can you call, call yourself an overly pious person? So said the Hasid, what train is this coming in to the station? He said, oh, that's the Krakow train. He said, the Krakow train? But it's not in Krakow now. He said, no, it's called the Krakow train because it's on its way to Krakow. That's its destination. So we call ourselves Hasidim, not because we are Hasidim, but because we want to be Hasidim. On a similar note, a Hasid once came to a Rebbe, a Hasidic Rebbe, and he said, what does it mean to be a Hasid? Who, what's the definition of a, a true Hasid? And the Rebbe said, someone who wants to be a Hasid. So the Hasid said, well, what do you mean? Who doesn't want to be a Hasid? Who wouldn't want to serve God in with joy and in an in, in ultimate way? And the Rebbe responded to him, who doesn't want to be a Hasid? Someone who thinks he already is one. A true Hasid is someone who feels far from Hashem but wants to be closer. On a similar note, there was a... Uh, a great story I heard last week. The Chafetz Chaim, the leader of Polish Jewry, was riding in a wagon together with the Imri Emes, the Ger Rebbe, the leader of Polish, one of the largest Hasidic groups in Poland. And they were speaking, and the Chafetz Chaim, on their way to a convention, the Knesia Gadola, a great convention of all the leading rabbis and leaders of, of Polish Jewry at the turn of the uh, 1900s, and the, the Chavetz Chaim asked the Ger Rebbe a question from last week's Torah portion. It says in last week's Torah portion, Hashem telechi, you should walk after Hashem. And the Chavetz Chaim said that there are two ways to say after in Hebrew. One is acher, and the other is achare. Slightly different, same word, but slightly different spelling. And he said that Rashi explains at the beginning of the Chumash, Parshas Lech Lecha, that acher, when it says acher hadavarim ha'ela, after these things happened, it means immediately after. When it says achare, it means that there's some space, some time, some distance. So it says, why does the Torah say achare Hashem telechi? You should walk after Hashem using the term that means be some distance. Don't we want to walk immediately next to Hashem? Achar Hashem? Why does it say achare? So the Ger Rebbe responded, because Hashem is infinite. You're always infinitely far. When you realize you're far, how far away you are from God, that is the closeness, the desire to come close. Feeling far and wanting to come close, that is the greatest closeness we can achieve to God. On a similar note, uh, today we said hollow, the hollow prayers. And in the hollow prayers, we quote, we say from Psalms, what a beautiful idea. It says, Pisco Tzedek, open for for me, the, the the gates of righteousness. And then the very next verse says, Hashem. This is the gate of Hashem, the righteous go through it. Says the Nom Elimelech, or Elimelech of Lezhensk, says, how do we come to the gate of God? How do we come close to God? He says, when we feel like we're far from God, when we feel that we're outside the gates. Pischuli Sharasetic, open for me the gates when you feel like you're locked out. Zehashar Lashem. That's when you're closest to Hashem. When you feel like you're outside, that's when you're really inside. It's all about your desire to come close. There was once a Hasidic Jew, a follower of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Marash, who eventually 
moved out of Russia and moved to Western Europe, began working, I believe, in Paris. And every year before Rosh Hashanah, he would come in to get a blessing from the Rebbe, as is customary by Hasidim. And over time, he stopped living like a Hasidic Jew. He began to assimilate into the French culture, Parisian culture, became more, more modern, more assimilated, less Hasidically inclined. And uh, when he went to do business, he stopped wearing his Hasidic garb, his long coat, his hat. He began to dress in the modern styles of the time. But whenever he came into the Rebbe, he was embarrassed and he put on his long coat. And he, he redressed up like, like, a, like a Hasidic Jew. And one year he said, you know, like, who am I fooling? I'm going to go into the Rebbe like I really am. I'm going to go dressed in the modern way that I normally dress. And he went into the Rebbe like that. The Rebbe was shocked. What's going on? Well, why are you dressed like this? And Chassid said, listen, Rebbe, I've been fooling you all these years. I, 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 had to, I had to stop lying to you. This is the way I dress now. I've been living in Paris. I conduct business amongst the, the French Gentiles. And this is the way everyone dresses there. And the Rebbe said, you can't fool me. I know you've been dressing like this all along. But every time you came to see me and you put on your Hasidic clothing, I knew what it meant is that this is the real you. You're still a chassid at heart. And the rest of the year, you're dressing up like a Gentile to go do business. And this is the real you. But now that you've come to me dressed like this, now now I see that you really have changed. Somebody mentioned recently to me the idea of that some, some Jews keep kosher only in the home. But when they're out in, outside, they eat outside the house non-kosher. And the... Unfortunately, there are many people that, that do this, and in many ways, it's a great thing. At least keep kosher sometimes. You know, Maybe they can't handle the temptations of the delicious non-kosher food out there, or maybe uh, it's inconvenient, and they need to be able to grab a quite quick bite to eat, or maybe they're embarrassed. But in the home, they still keep kosher, and it's still a beautiful thing. It's beautiful for a Jew to keep kosher whatever, wherever he can keep kosher. And, and as so too with all mitzvahs, as much as you can do, is great, even though we strive to keep the entire Torah. Whatever we keep is good. But I think there's a deeper explanation here. And that's that when a person's in their house, that's when their true colors come out. You're truly comfortable with yourself in your house. And that's how you act when you act your real self. So when a Jew keeps kosher in the home, what he's saying is, this is who I really am. I might fail. I might become influenced and assimilated by the nations when I leave my house. But in my house, at least I'm still connected to who I really am. That's the idea of Elul. You may rutzon, connecting to who we really are. Who do we really want to be in this year? The the truth is is that a, a person is made up of your a nefesh elokis, a godly soul, and a nefesh abahamis, and an animal soul. And these two parts of us want two very different things. The animal soul wants physical, immediately immediate physical pleasures. Nefesh elokis wants ultimately to connect to God and to do his will. So who are you really? So we don't believe that you are a, that you have a soul. We believe you are a soul. Your soul has a body. Your true self is your nefesh elokis, your divine soul, a piece of God. And all your soul wants is to do the will of God. So your truest desire, what you really want, is what God wants. That's who you really are. So this is a time of connection. It's brought down in different sources that rutzon, your desire, creates reality. 
The Baal Shem Tov teaches that where your thoughts are, that's where you really are. The word Ratzon has the same letters as the Hebrew word Sinor, which means a pipeline, a pathway. And it's taught in the Talmud that what a person wants, that leads to their reality. That leads to who, what happens in your life. Your thoughts create your reality. If we can use this month to prepare for the high holidays, to begin to tap into who we really are, what we really want, how we want to become better this year, that it can have a ripple effect on our life. That's why in the 10 days of repentance, we are taught in Jewish law to take on chumras, to take on new stringencies in our spirituality, new laws that we might not normally keep, and we might not be able to keep the rest of the year. Why? To show that this is what we want. We want to be on that level. We might not be there, but we hope to be there. And in doing so, we open up a pathway, pipeline, for new blessing to come into our life for the new year. And hopefully this, with this attitude and this approach, will bring new blessing into our life for a year of health, wealth, happiness, and spirituality. Wishing you a uh, Chodesh Tov, a good, a good Chodesh, a good month, and a Kasiva Chasim We should all be written for good things in this new year, and a good Kabbalah year, a good year, and of course, a beautiful Shabbos.